everyone, and welcome to The Gong, the podcast hosting conversations about the earliest stages of startup sales and all the fun stories that come from companies with little cash, no precedence, and lots of guts. My name is Adriel, and as always, I will be your host today, and I love today's episode because on the podcast, we've got a personal friend of mine, Anna Marshall. With Anna, who's one of the top marketers in early stage startups in Silicon Valley, we go through a lot. We go through everything she learned from failure, from her own startup that she and her husband founded in the music business that seemed to have everything going for it, including massive partners like DJ Tiesto, among others, and the Chainsmokers, to the failure that all ultimately came from not being focused enough, not understanding the problems of their customers enough. And then that gets turned into a success as their current marketing agency, One Silicon Drive, works with startups of all kinds and has had amazing success with companies as varied as The League and Motorsports USA and so many other amazing companies. And everything that Anna's learned from these companies that can be applied directly to the marketing strategies that you need to have as you consider what your startup should be doing. And then we finish up on what Anna's doing right now, which is yet another startup. And it was really fun to be able to take a look at someone's perspective who has gone through a challenge at a startup, gone through a failure, then been a part of so many successes shortly after that, much of the lessons that came from this initial failure, and now is starting the startup journey again. And we get into how she's learning about her customers, what expectations she has as she goes into things, and we have a lot of fun. There's one point especially that I love. In the end, when we're talking about this company that she's launching, we really begin to discuss the balance between over-researching in the beginning, learning so much about your customers, and oftentimes that's an important thing that you need to do. You should be able to speak to customers well before you begin to launch any sort of company so you know exactly what you're launching and, more importantly, who you are launching it for. But oftentimes, too much of that research can bring about paralysis by analysis. You'll find a thousand reasons not to do something instead of focusing on the one reason to do it. And many founders take two totally different perspectives on it. Some always do that huge amount of research up front, learn everything they possibly can about a market or a technology before they go into it. Others, and Anna takes this approach, and this is also the approach you often hear from any startup story that was, oh, I suffered this issue, and I realized there must be a better way. And Anna does this with what she's currently founding. You are able to see exactly what her thought process is to say, hey, I've had this experience. I think there should be a better way of having it, and if I think that, there must be other people, a huge group of other people who believe in that. And as long as her mission is bold, and as long as the vision is broad, or rather clear, then she is able to apply on a really, really focused, narrow base in the very, very beginning, and then begin to chip away at this broader vision. So we had a really fun conversation about how to stay focused, how to do research, the perils of starting a company, and the kinds of marketing she might be going for as time goes on. And Anna is a ton of fun. Her firm, Silicon Drive, is incredible. So I highly recommend you check out some of their work and case studies because there's a lot that we can learn from watching the successes and the failures of others. And so thank you to Anna for opening up. And without further ado, I hope you enjoy my episode with Anna Marshall. 
friend, Anna Marshall. Welcome to the gong. Thank you. You have the perfect attire for podcasting. We're so ready to rock. Something <laughs> like this, but not this. Yeah, it's something like it. <laughs> uh, Anna, this is going to be super fun. You have led marketing in some capacity for dozens of startups, both your own and uh, through your firm. So I want to start and get a background on Silicon Drive. Tell me what it was like to start it and, and why you did. Sure. So the, the inception of Silicon Drive actually came out of a startup that I had previously. Uh, we had, uh, we being my, my husband, who I always get, oh, how do you work with your husband? Uh, we can get that to that in a little minute. But um, so we had a startup for about four or five years um, inside of media and entertainment. We raised a little under a hundred, a uh, million dollars. Um, decided it wasn't the right product. We were actually building something not as um, innovative for the market at the time. Um, ended up turning that into our agency, which we have today. So, um, wait, take me back. Sorry, I always love stories of failure. What was what it was, was wrong? A, it was a massive failure. What happened? <laughs> um, we just went into it thinking that um, you know what what it was. We started with the marketing first. We started with the marketing first. Um, what does that mean? We were not, um, so we were not technical founders by trade at all. We, we ended up getting a, um, a team, an outsourced team that we could bring in and, and help us build, um, build the platform. Um, and there was just a tremendous amount of things that we did completely wrong, which at the time, it's painful. It's really, really, really painful to, to go through and, and get that moment where you're like, why didn't we do that from the very beginning? Um, Can you give me an example? What's something you thought was genius? Because people only do things because they think it's genius. What's something you thought was like, oh my God, we, we figured this thing out, let's do it. And then X amount of time later, you're like, oh, well, maybe that wasn't the thing. Well, so Alec had had um, this idea for, for quite a while. So he, you know, taking it all the way back, um, he was uh, picked up by Apple um, in the you know early 2000s, um, and he ended up being on the uh, team that launched the very first iTunes store. And so he's always been into music, and he's always been into you know brands and that sort of thing. He um, wrote for BMW back in the day, and so had this idea that brands really need to have a tighter relationship um, with. Uh, musicians, um, especially on the on the digital front, so he kind of carried this this idea with him. And so when he came to me after he had done like his, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth startup um, as a BBM marketing, he said, "Look, I really want to come out and build this platform that bridges entertainment and musicians with um, brand experiences." Um, and so I said, "Great." Let's do that. That sounds fun. And so left my job at Duarte, which is a preeminent agency here in the Bay Area, and ended up you know, going on this journey with him. And so he was doing a lot of the UX and the UI. He's a very, very talented designer. Um, definitely didn't go to school for that, but is just innately intelligent and um, one of the things that I love about him. Um, I hope he's listening. You've been <laughs> swooning all day. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm kind of a I'm kind of a fangirl. It's, it's, it's 
really sad. Um, <laughs> but but we we went down this journey of, of building the platform and um, onboarding a, a number of musicians and entertainers. We actually started in the the dance space for for two reasons. Um, number one was that dance music at the time was getting a, a tremendous amount of attention and even investment from like True Ventures and. Um, uh, Insomniac, and there was a, a, a big conglomerate at the time. What time period was this? It's 2013-ish? Uh, yeah. Was it? Right. Yeah. It's SFX. All right. Yeah. So a lot of dance was coming out. Yeah. Everybody was raging, yeah. Yeah. And so we, we started making our rounds inside the dance industry, um, and I immediately got um, got approached by uh, Shelly Finkel from SFX. So, what is SFX? So SFX was um, a company started by, I can't think of his name at the time, um, but he came from Clear Channel and then spun off, started this company called SFX where they, um, where they were huge into figuring out dance music and how they could create platforms and, and again, bridge technology with dance. Um, so Shelly Finkel came up to me at an event and I knew who he was right off the bat because he was in the papers, oh, papers, but he was on the blogs. He was, was still 2013. Reading the morning post. Yeah, exactly. But um, you know, just very, very well known. He was actually a, a trainer for. Um, some of the greatest boxers in history. So he worked a lot with Mike Tyson and was his main trainer for many, many years and ended up you know, coming up to me and saying, hey, I heard you ask about um, technology and dance music and I'd like to talk more with you. We had just launched four weeks like four weeks, and we had launched our platform. We had some of the biggest artists working with us, um, from Tiesto to Cedric Gervais to um, the Chainsmokers. We we actually did Chainsmokers selfie, um, but but nobody knew about it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we had them post our little link at the time, and we're like. Yes, we're you winning know, so this like game. That was like the song of the radio. The first yes. time we took a selfie, right? That that was. I was yes. backpacking through Australia at the time, and we had a <laughs> we had, we had this hippie camper car, and we we were listening to Triple J. That was a radio station in Australia, oh and gosh. they wouldn't stop taking but singing. But first, let me take a selfie. Yeah, and that was you. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, it was. I mean, obviously, well, it, was him, but you were, <laughs> it wasn't them, <laughs> but we we were part of the marketing, and it was. I mean, it was just kind of fun and cool at the time, and we. We um, were able to work with a lot of the nightclubs and even the festivals. We did um, Electric Daisy Carnival and... Um, and you were, sorry, so who's the customer and, and what were they buying? Right, exactly. Uh-huh, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. You're working with a lot of cool people, but I was trying to figure out who, what you were getting. And, and that was, you know, that was part of the discovery. So... Um, and, and I think that was one of the, one of my biggest learning points is, you know, identifying because when I, when I first heard the idea, I identified that person as me. So, you know, somewhere, somebody who could go online 
get all of um, the Chainsmokers music, whether it be their YouTube, whether it be their SoundCloud, all in one playlist, because playlists were huge at the time. SoundCloud came out, and I was like, no. Um, but we had the we had the upper upper hand to say we'll gather all of your media and um, pitch this pitch it back out to the brands where they can sponsor your pages. So that was that's the end game, right? And you know. Fast forward many, many years later, th there was just a number of problems that had happened along the way. Um, one of them not being our marketing because we ended up, you know, onboarding a, a ton of artists. Um, artists we, knew about you. They knew that there was something interesting that they were doing if they had uploaded their music to your, what was the platform called at the time? It was called Vidium. Vidium. Yeah. So they, they, these artists knew that if they had uploaded something to Vidium, they'll get something out of it, like people are doing it so they are aware. Right, right. Um, and so it was getting them to, it was, it was getting them to, um, to get their music on there, but then letting their fans know about it. So we, it, it went around for about, about two and a half, three years. So we stretched the money pretty well. Um, we were able to get some, again, some really, really great artists on it. The funny thing is, I haven't even talked about this at length in so many years. Oh, this is therapy. Let's let's get into I it. I know. Yeah. I know. Um, which is, I think, why I'm so great at therapy now with my CEOs and my <laughs> founders because <laughs> you, you've been through the shit. I've, you know, I've been you know, through it. Yeah. So, so you guys were doing this for a couple of years. Yeah. Uh, and uh, what went wrong? What, what happened? We ended up um, getting a lot of promises from investors that were like, yes, this is great. Um, and we had two that were like, here's the term sheets, and he we're sending the checks next week, and the checks never came. So we ended up having to, having to shutter um, that part of the business. Meanwhile, though, we had created a, a social department out of that company where we were handling social and digital for, for some of the, for some of the acts. You kind of had a separate agency where you were doing TSO's Twitter or whatever. Something like that. Right. Um, it, we actually were a fake Bob Weir. If you know who Bob, Bob Weir is. Weir, Grateful Dead Bob Weir. Yes. Company, yeah. Yes. We were fake Bob Weir for a little while. Does Bob Weir need to give permission to be fake Bob Weir? Or was that like dead and company's marketing? Nope, that was... No, that was just you guys were being fake Bob Weir. Yeah. That's awesome. It was awesome. Yeah. Um, so uh, so we were working with a lot of these, a lot of these acts. And, um, you know, I don't know if you've ever worked in music, but you don't actually make money. Like nobody pays you. Nobody wants to. They all want everything for free because you're in music. Mm. You get to hear our beautiful music. And it's great. So, um, yeah, yeah. Well, and it's, it was, I mean, it's just a very, very hard industry and anybody from music will actually say the same thing. It's a, it's a very, very difficult, um, industry because there's a lot, there's a lot of talent, but there's, there's just a lot of things going on. So it's so, good. So out, out, of, out of this, you guys were kind of noticing that the money is not really there. Right. How did this agency of Silicon Drive that you've been now doing, I imagine, more successfully sure. for about four years come about? What happened? Sure. So we started getting call, callbacks from our friends up here. Um, one of them starting with a company called um, Wheelwell. So Wheelwell ended up getting um, finance from GGV Capital, which was a, a huge win for them. Um, they took a good run of it uh, for about six years. And so we came in um, very early, like right, right around 
their second year after they had gotten funding from GGV. And so we came in, we helped them with a lot of their positioning. You know, what are they going to, who are they going to be when they get their new round of funding? Um, we were doing a lot of their digital campaigns, so a lot of their customer acquisition, um, and really testing out like who they were in the market. So that was one of our bigger ones when we came back. And then right after that, we worked with Sudden Coffee, and we worked with um, a couple of wearable companies, one called Tap, which is doing awesome. And what's special about you? Well, why, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of marketing agencies. There's more marketers. What, do you, what was it about you guys or the way you approach things or what you knew and the way you did it that made companies like this uh, seek your counsel, give you money, get marketing advice from you? Sure. Um, you know, at first it was because we thought we were so smart. <laughs> Usually, <what it> is. <laughs> Usually um, you know, we have a, we have really great creative. And so one of the things that we do very well is um, taking a company, um, whatever stage they're at and making them look much bigger than what they are. Um, and so that can be anything from their branding to, again, like figuring out what their milestones are in order to, to reach that, that next level for them um, and do it in such a pace that a lot of, just a lot of our other competition, I would, I don't even call them competition because there's so much going around. There's so much work out there and there's so many great companies. Um, but other people that are doing what we're doing can't do it at the pace of a founder. Um, not only that, but because we had just come off like this painful road, um, we were able to, uh, to, um, to understand like, what they were going, what they were going through. You can empathize with them when they had an investor thing coming up. They could come to you and say, "Hey, how do I look good in front of my investors?" Or if they had right. a deadline to hit, you're like, "Oh shit, I remember deadlines from two years ago that we were we were missing." And here's what we learned, and here's what we can do to, to make it better for you. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, now four years later, you know, even today, I'm having conversations with CEOs, and one of them was like, "And here's my here's my deck for this very very important event that we have with a lot of very very important." customers. I'm like, look, you are so smart. You are mind-blowingly smart. I'm like, but they're just not going to understand what you're saying. And to be able to be real with somebody about that is very scary for some people. But at the same time, you know, giving them, you know, a, a light at the end of the tunnel that yes, I, what I'm saying is correct. And what I'm saying is smart. But if I can't even relate to my customers on a real level, like how are they going to entrust, you know, their money with them? And so it's kind of the same thing, right? Is just building this, um, this level of empathy that um, that founders are very, very lonely people. At the end of the day, you know, there it's a lot on their shoulders to um, to make it right and do things right the first time. And there are a lot of people that don't do that and that's okay, you know? And, and that's why I can tell my story today without, without fault of saying like, oh, I could have done this. No, there's no way I would have been here by now if, if I didn't go through all of those things. Yeah. Well, tell me about presentations. I want to go back to that. What, yeah. what do you think are some of the, there's, you know, founders come in all shapes and sizes. Many of them are, uh, engineers, and so, therefore, communication skills might not be their forte. But even if not, even if they're great salespeople or great finance people or great whatever else they are, communication and presentations are a totally different skill set. What are some of the things you think 
uh, fa- startup founders get wrong most often when they're giving some sort of presentation. Let, let's put it. Let's put it in the, in the context of a sale. Maybe you're at a conference. Maybe it's a one-on-one sale. What are some of the things that the founders you work with you see get wrong more more often than not? Until you come in and help them get it right. Sure, sure. So a lot of it has to do with again. It, it goes back to how they came up with the idea in the first place. But for where for where companies are to actually you know raise that million dollars. So right, we work between the the seed to series C. The C range. So uh, you have the line from from seed to shining series C. Yeah, beautiful. <laughs> if that's not a tagline, it convinced me to buy. I don't know what is. Thank you. Um, so you know they they've gotten far enough where you know now they have to actually prove their worth, whether it's to customers, whether it's to investors, whether it's to the general market. Um, but a lot of them have not made quite that shift to where they were from ideation into who they're becoming, right? And what, is, what does that mean? What's the difference in those two stages? There's a lot of growth and there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of change that happens to a company. Um, I would probably say, and, I'll, and I guess I can give you an example. So, um, you know, for a couple of our companies, we are, a lot of it came out of theory, right? Or just te- very technical, technical um, uh, things that happen. And, and. Yeah, the university graduate students who are working on their thesis, and out of that, maybe there's an idea for some sort of company doing something or other. Right, right, exactly. And, and so, you know, they're still kind of stuck on this because they're so smart. Um, and so what they need to do is end up, you know, figuring out how to then make that relatable in a very humanistic way. And as you're going through, again, these first couple of years where you're just focused on product, focused on product, you almost lose that notion for why you did it in the first place. And that's all it is. It's a, it's a quick, like, misunderstanding of, you know, what you were doing and where you were going and where you want to be. Yeah, the, the, the thing I totally agree with is that people who don't appreciate, let me actually take a step back there. When you have a super technical product, it feels like it's going to take over the world. Mm-hmm. When you are working on something that the media is telling you is game changing, that you're telling everyone is game that your mother's telling you is game changing, you feel like it can absolutely address everybody. And if, oh, if only they understood the technical parameters of the brilliance of what my team and I are working on. And that's limited for two reasons. I think the first is nobody gives a shit about the technical wonders <laughs> of, of what you're working on. They care about what it's doing for them. Right. The second thing is, even if you understand that first thing, you're like, all right, what matters to me is not how incredible my self-driving cars are, but about how effective they're going to make logistics. Or what matters is not the uh, fantastic computer vision product we're able to build, but it matters that it's going to help a grocery keep things in stock 8% of the time more, which is going to up their margins by another 2%, which is whatever. So what matters is that is, is what the customer hears from you. Even if you get that, if you approach too many different kinds of people too early on, the message is going to get lost. Correct. How do you work with your founders to, who are often super visionary and super bullheaded, for better or for worse, and want to serve absolutely everybody all at once? How do you work with them to define which market to actually market to? And what language might might form around that? Would love any any stories or examples you might have. Sure. So a lot of the a lot of the companies that we end up 
um, working with. So one example is a, um, a data analytics platform. So they, they were having a difficult time figuring out how to describe their how to describe their platform. You know what kind of offerings they had. A couple of really really big clients, but not everybody else was gra gravitating to that to that use case for what they were building. And so, we went through an entire exercise with like their executive team, with their founders, and what ended up happening was there was just a split. In, um, in understanding like what they were doing, right? So one side said, no, we're, we're this kind of company. The other side said, we're this company. And I ended up going just back to the founder. And I said, look, there's a reason why you started this. And so tell me that story. And just pulling it back out of them again and doing exactly what, what you're great at, right? Which is digging a little bit deeper and finding out those questions that really um, create passion and and drive for what they do every single day. Because you would not be a founder if you couldn't do it every day. Like it's impossible. That those are the people who end up losing. And so being able to say that and then say it back to them in simple terms. And he's like, they're like, they're generally like, yes, that's exactly what we do. And what happens after that is they want to expand. I said, okay, all right, let's stop there. And, oh, and I love the moment of expansion. Finally, somebody who understands my brilliance. <laughs> now explain it to everybody all the time. Let's watch right. every possible show's media account and let's spread it to the world. Right, right. <laughs> so, you know, that's that's typically how we end up coming back to it because it there is um, you know, again, they're they're still very they're still very young companies and they're still trying to um, figure it out, but somebody had a vision in there. Somebody had an idea of you know what this could do to change the world, and that's that's what we want to bring back out. Um, the other thing that we do with um, audiences, and and because we are able to touch so many different industries, I was just going through some of our portfolio companies yesterday. Because you guys have you have you have the analytics company, you have healthcare, you have coffee, you have music, you have you have everything across the board. You have cars, right? Right. So, um, and everything is different. And so again, it, it definitely goes back to what the founders are saying, what the executives are saying. Um, but more, moreover, we go out and test those messages. And so it doesn't matter if it's B2B, if it's consumer, I'm like, we need to test at like five or six of these different messages. Um, then we figure out, you know, who those, who those five different audiences are and we start playing around and we do exactly what the engineers do. Exactly what the engineers do. And that's why, you know, when people are like, okay, so can I get a million users tomorrow? I'm like, no. Oh, you're so boring. I mean, there are, <laughs> I mean, I could probably count on my hand how many times um, that has actually happened. And it's, isn't that often the standard that marketers are held to? by a CEO who doesn't know marketing. They say, if you don't get me a million users by next week, you clearly don't know shit about marketing and you failed, which is an unfair standard. But uh, do you find, what, what kind of standards do you think CEOs who are not marketers themselves should hold marketers to? How do you set the metrics for a good marketer to work? I work backwards from what they need to hit. Um, so if you have, if you are um, looking to reach, you know, whatever, 100,000 users in three months, what I'll say is, okay, so there's, there's a, there are a lot of variables in there. And there's money, 
there's time, there's that breakout idea, um, because breakout ideas are always awesome. Um, and we've seen a lot of those, and those are really cool, but they are like literally one-hit wonders, and you need to figure out how to change those. For example? What do you mean? What's a breakout idea? Um, I think I just heard it on one of your other podcasts. Um, oh, every guest on the Gong podcast is <laughs> overflowing with breakout ideas. I, I know, I know. <laughs> it's, it's kind of the same ones over and over, I feel, right now. Um, you have, you know, Plaid, who did their, their thing on Reddit. You have Airbnb. What's who that did... story? I, I don't know the Plaid Reddit story. So um, Plaid ended up, I believe, um, putting a lot of their questions and, and um, however, however they were doing business um, on Reddit, and they started a swell of comments and stuff like that. Oh, all right. Gotcha. Clearly, I need to be more educated before <laughs> I just spit out stories. They, but... did, they did something on Reddit. So when you say breakout <laughs> idea, it's, it's a clever, uh, clever marketing hack. Right. Like Airbnb did the the Obama O's and the John McCain crunch. Right. In order to generate some sort of buzz about about what they are. So that's sure. what you mean. So money is <laughs> yeah. how much money you're going to put into a marketing campaign. Time, yeah. how much time you're going to give it. Do you expect four months of results in a week? Right. And then breakout idea is like what awesome, remarkable hack are you going to have to be able to propagate your idea to the world? Right, right. And I've generally like moved away from um, those breakout ideas until I can see that the company is actually ready for it. Because Breakout idea, Twitter and South by Southwest. Boom. Wasn't that their thing? Yes. They, they launched that <laughs> South by Southwest. Everybody could text ideas or comment on all the talks, and it was a big... Uh, totally. Big, big hit all of a sudden there, and the right community, things like that. Yeah, and... and you know, funny enough, I think that that used to be a thing. Maybe that's why launching we launching at South by. Well, launching at South by and like these little breakout ideas. Mm. I mean, that used to be the thing. I haven't seen a lot of that lately, so maybe that's why we don't have a very recent. A very recent example. Yeah, yeah. maybe that's gonna be my guess. Anyways, um, where were we? Where were we? I, I don't remember <laughs> where we were, but let's 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 keep going. <laughs> let's keep going to where we need to be. Uh, tell tell me about sales. Uh, and particularly how you like to work with the salespeople at your at, at your portfolio companies. Because, uh, you know, if you're working with a founder, maybe their goals are investment, maybe their goals are sales, maybe their goals are hiring great people, maybe their goals is general education. How, how are the messages that you try to send different based on the party to which you're sending them? So it's always my goal to get everybody in the same room at the same time. I'm pretty good at doing that because there is no sense in me starting anything if I don't get buy-in from sales. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't make sense. You know, there's, this is, again, we're talking about a, a starting team. And so there's a reason why you hired that person. It was to have ideas. It was to... It was to debate what what you think is to be true. And it's also to be able to say, okay, so what are the things that we can do? So, And then it goes back to the testing drawing board. And so all of it is always this evolution of growth and deliverables and effort that allows companies to help to actually accelerate what they were doing um, so to where we end up taking. So you need in a room together to be able to do your best work. I mean... Pretty much, and it's and it's not always, and that's that's actually where my failure where my failures do come in with companies is that you know if everybody's not on the same page, and that's okay too, that's okay too, um, you know, 
we certainly look at those at those times as opportunities for us to, you know, bring people together, and you know how you do that. Sorry, sometimes you need an outside force to be able to yeah, yeah reconcile the silos of a of a politics infused startup. Right, right, and you know, in in all honesty, the reason why it happens is because of egos. That's the only reason. I mean. If you really were interested in the growth of your company, then you need to understand there are a lot of smart people in the room. Again, that's why you hired them. So anyways, to go back, um, being able to have you know, close relationships with sales, being able to understand the CEO's vision, because at the end of the day, they are the one. And that, you, know, you gotta stay in your lane. Is there a time where you disagree with the CEO's vision? Yeah, I told him today. Yeah? What's that, what's that <laughs> conversation like? Because if you're saying your whole goal is to figure out what the CEO's vision is and help them execute on it, if you disagree with the direction in which they're taking things, how, how, do, you, how do you present that? I take it back to their audience, and I take it back to their customer and say, what, what would they feel? So, for example, like today was um, he wanted to really talk and, and pitch his company in more theoretical um, when I say theoretical, it's more like theory-based. So he's um, super, super smart PhD, and like a lot of his, um, a lot of how he's been able to build the company um, is f from his um, more, you know, fr from his deeper background in education. Um, but I told him, I was like, look, these people want to feel safe. They want to feel like, you're gonna save them time. You know, it's you're, they want to feel like you're gonna save their jobs and do better by their jobs. And he actually, yeah, we're on the Zoom, and he actually writes down. He's like, "How can I make their job easier?" And I was like, "Boom, boom, that's it." And and so it gives them, you know, a a moment. And again, I think because you know. We're inside, but we're also outside, you know? We're outside looking in. Um, it gives them that outlet to not feel always guarded, perhaps, with their teams. Um, and again, that comes back to, you know, being able to, to really run your company as a CEO. And it doesn't matter if you've had five companies, it doesn't matter if you've had 10 companies, or this is your very first one. CEOs go through that same thing over and over and over again. Uh, speaking of CEOs going mm -hmm. through the same thing over and over again, uh, you're working on something new, right? I am. Uh, tell me about it. Uh, so, how do I introduce this? Oh, this why don't you just dive right in? Just really don't be shy. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, well, I guess this is, this is I'll, I'll provide some context that we're super in the early stages of, yes. of launching something. It is to be launched within the next... Uh, 10 days, seven days, I think of my, of my seven days is, is, to is the day. Right. So we are going to be practicing seeing it live, a professional marketer work on her early marketing, uh, experiments. I know. See, and look, I get all like, I get nervous because yeah. I'm like, I'm putting this out into the wild and people are going to judge me. Yeah. Well, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta work, you gotta iterate through your language a few times and, and sure. you know, experiment on a bunch of different, uh, ways to twist your tongue until one of them sounds good. And for context. We're recording this on February 7th. The things that we'll find out soon what the thing is is being launched on February 14th. 
a Valentine's Day launch, and this podcast has been released uh, a few weeks beyond. So maybe some of these people are already customers, and if not, well, who knows? Maybe they will be. That'd be awesome. I hit me with it, Anna. What are we working on? So the company is called Lingerie Addiction, and it is a stylus curated lingerie box that is exclusively going to be sold on Postmates. Um, and the reason why we came up with this idea was uh, my husband actually got me this beautiful lingerie box for our anniversary. Um, I was telling you earlier, we definitely made out. But then right after that, I was like, where did you find this Stop, company? I have an idea. <laughs> Somebody get me a Squarespace login. <laughs> and, and so, you know, I started looking into, you know, well, why, why is this only on, why is this only on like a monthly subscription? Like I would never spend money personally on a monthly subscription of, of this ongoing thing. Um, and so we were talking about it a little bit more and Alex said, well, you know, usually what you need is you need it right now. I'm like, yeah. So we went down to Los Angeles. We ended up um, meeting up with a friend who is doing virtual restaurants out of his restaurant on um, Sunset Boulevard in West Hollywood. And we knew that he was doing a lot in this space with Postmates and getting things under an hour and um, launching 100 brands. So right now he has about 40 brands working out of one kitchen, um, which isn't like as novel. But the interesting part is how they're utilizing Postmates and being able to build like multiple businesses into one in order to um, in order to get people whatever they want in under an hour. So you're going to be one of those businesses based out of this this ghost kitchen. Right, right. Um, and, and what kind of research? So so lingerie on demand, beautiful stylist selected lingerie on demand. What kind of research did you do? about who your customer is and what you're looking for uh, before going into this full tilt? So a lot of it had to do with my experience. And, and I think that there is some validation to, um, you know, when, again, when a founder gets an idea, and I do see this quite, um, quite often in consumer, is there's this idea of like, I really, really wanted that. And that's, I want to build it. And you'll take, for instance, like All Voices just raised three million bucks. Um, they're down in LA, and they um, they created an app to um, to notify people about sexual harassment in the workplace. Like, what kind of audience, you know, research do we need to have in order to know that's a brilliant idea? And so, um, for for us, though. You know, I, I was floating this to a lot of my girlfriends. I was floating it to young people, older um, older people. Um, there's definitely not like a widespread, you know, understanding even or or wanting of of this kind of um, of this kind of box. And so we looked at mainly we looked at mainly um, like very populated areas like LA. And, and so where fashion is obviously a big consideration. Right, right. Um, you know, I, I did start seeing um, quite a few companies in the fast fashion business getting getting money and getting fundraising and that sort of thing. So that was also validating. Um, but mainly it just came from, you know, my experience and just how I felt and how I wanted more women to feel that way. 
And so that was really the driving passion for, um, for how we created this. Now, getting it under an hour and, you know, applying some, you know, again, like I said, it's, it's style is curated. So it's a questionnaire, a quick one of like, what do you, what kind of box do you want? Do you want cute? Do you want sexy or do you want kinky? And so by starting at the experience of like what you want to feel, that I think sets the tone for everything. Um, then you get into size, then you get into body shape, which is also very, very important when you're talking about how it fits on a woman and like, you know, how it fits on top, how it fits on the bottom, because every woman is different. Um, and so, and then the, of course there's the price point. So we, we ended up going with yes, wow, or holy cow. Which, I mean, one of each, why not? Yeah. <laughs> I've got the option. Well, if you were advising yourself, mm -hmm. uh, so, so Silicon Drive for Context comes in as sort of your external CMO level marketer and, and, and gives advice to the company or, or marketing uh, experimentation for the company until they hire their full-time marketer and maybe even beyond that. If you had a Silicon Drive come in here with lingerie addiction and said, here's what we're going to do. What are some of those experiments, those marketing experiments that you want to be running in your first, say, 100 days to get your first 100 customers? Right. Um, so I'm a huge proponent of using your network, um, especially if you believe in what you're doing. So um, one of the things, especially for consumer, and I, like I said, I've already done like some soft tests on, on how this would play with a certain with a certain demographic. Um, so I, I would probably target that specific list. That right there is, I don't know, uh, 100 women at least, right? Maybe that's more. That's how you're gonna target them and, and ask why, because that's always the most important part of, so failure to launch is like one of the bigger issues in startups. So if somebody wants to go launch something, just the hesitation of a thousand reasons, ah, nobody really wants to know, whatever, is probably the biggest hurdle they need to get over that. Right. Once they got over it, which you obviously did fairly quickly, uh, they want to test to see how many more other people are there out there like me. Sure, I would love this thing, but how many other people would? And that's a super, super important step. What kind of questions are you going to be asking these this network of 100 women? What kind of expectations do you have? Are you waiting to see if, if these 100 women are going to buy and rebuy twice? Are you just wondering if they're going to give you a thumbs up and say, sure, Anna, like, this is a cool thing? Oh, no. I'm just going to give them my email. I'm going to give them my the website. I'm going to give them 10% off and be like, go buy it. If they don't buy it, there's something wrong. And then I'll go back to them and I'll ask them. Um, but there's going to be, you know, I just, th the other things that we're looking at are um, social campaigns and hours. So the interesting thing about delivery, obviously, is that um, you can set your hours. And in LA, it goes all night. So we're going to do, be doing lots of um, social experiments for um, hours of the day and certain days of the week and um, see which ones. I some new lunchtime bras. You, ne <laughs> you never know. You never know. That noon to one o'clock hour just had a burrito. <laughs> I always, I always took you as a Teddy kind of guy, but <laughs> I got a lot of secrets. I got a lot of secrets. <laughs> oh my gosh! Um, so yeah, we're going to be doing that, and then we're also going to be doing. Um, eventually, I want to do events. Um, you know, like intimate community events, something like very non-formal. Um, 
but just, you know, reintroduce back to women how sexy they are, how beautiful they are. Um, and I, I, I generally see that like there's, there's a huge boom in the, in the lingerie business right now. Um, but there's also a lot of people feeling because it's almost like, I'm not really sure why they, why they fail actually. I haven't gotten that far. Um, which probably some more research I That's need to do. That's the next step. <laughs> yeah. That's the next step. Uh, awesome. Anna, this has been a blast. I want to move on to the final, okay. possibly most important section mm. of this entire interview, which is our rapid fire questions. Okay. I'll ask them quickly. You can take your sweet time answering them if you want. Okay. Uh, what is the favorite uh, book you have about business startups or marketing? Nice Girls Don't Get the Corner Office. Ooh, haven't heard of that. What is it? Or Nice Girls Wait. Yeah, nice girls don't get the corner office. Nice. What what is what is it about? It's about um, being able. It was oh my gosh! It was the very first book that I read out of college, um, and it's all about taking charge of your life. It's all about um, talking with a firm voice. It's just about really, you know, tapping into the power that you have as a woman. And if you sit there and you're nice and you just like, mm, and you set back, you're never going to get that corner office. Now, I don't generally believe that now, but I think that, and I mean just the, the proverbial corner office, right? But I definitely feel that those, those same principles apply where, um, you know, you just have to have that greater voice and, you know, kind of the same things that women have been talking about and killing it, by the way, th these last 18 months. I think that there has been a huge shift, a huge shift. And that's what I want to see out of the startup community. Like San Francisco um, needs to come together a lot better. It's not just the women. Like women are actually doing it like everywhere. But now we need to take it back and say, okay, what is going to make San Francisco great again? What is going to make Silicon Valley great again? Um, and then be able to take that to you know, other pockets and spread that community. I mean, we really need to start supporting one another. It's not just, it's not just the women. It's like kind of everybody. So. Yeah, l lack of diversity is probably one of the biggest financial taxes that we have in a society, if we want to take it purely from that perspective. Like lack of new ideas, lack of upward mobility, lack of women in the workforce, lack of all that stuff. At the same time, that same cause is uh, bringing up another effect, which is because there are so few women in positions of, of power, all of them are held to such a high bar that A, they are either uh, like absolutely demonized if they do fail, yeah. or B, their failures are kind of just looked over and glanced over because, oh no, like we can't possibly say anything bad about one of the few women we have in power. So bringing more women into the conversation, bringing more women into positions of power is so important, both from a financial perspective, diversity perspective, empowerment perspective, all that stuff you want to take on, but also the fact that if there are more women working with men, working with old white men, working with young black men, working with old middle-aged whatever women, if all these people are working together, then each particular unit is more allowed to make mistakes. We are allowed to be more open about women who are not doing a good job or who are doing an exceptional job and not getting recognized or whatever, which is causing uh, many problems downstream as well. <laughs> Yikes. We'll fix it. We'll fix it. <laughs> this is it. This is where we start. Um, 
tell me about a company you would love to run marketing for. A company that I would love running marketing for. In its early stages. It could be a giant company now, but you would love to be there in years one through four. It could be a giant company? It could be a giant company now, and you would have just loved to be running marketing in its first few years. Okay, can we come back to that one? We can come back to that one. Yeah, we could do anything. It's our show. (laughs) We could do whatever we want. Uh, What is a campaign you are particularly proud of? Oh, gosh. Um, we can't come back to this one. I'm yeah. Questions. Yeah. I would say, I would say everything that we did for a company called Moto America. So Moto America is the professional road racing series, um, hosted here in the U S. Um, they, it's similar to, um, it's similar to, oh my gosh, I just lost it. Formula one kind of like formula one it's like yeah it's kind of like the formula one of of motorcycle racing i'm totally blank they're gonna kill me (laughs) there's world Superbike. anyway um so we we were challenged with turning around sales and turning this this entire company into a media conglomerate and we ended up and and oh by the way like I don't know if you remember, but motorcycle racing used to be huge, huge in the 90s. I mean, they would have like hundreds of thousands of people go to these things. Um, And it still happens over Europe. With the company, I can't even remember the name still. I'm such an idiot. Um, (laughs) Can this be edited? No, it's all all live. It's all live. (laughs) People know you for who you are. <laughs> like, oh. it's all right. This is this is this is the true side of Anna Marshall. She <laughs> likes lingerie. She likes um, motorcycle sports, and sometimes she's forgetful. <laughs> this is this is it. <laughs> oh my god, that's hysterical. Um, so what kind of what kind of stuff did you put together? For so, you? so we ended up doing. Um, we ended up putting together like a whole new brand style for them, which made them look sleek and more up to date, and and all of these things. Um, and because I'm not sure if you're familiar with the motorcycle industry, but um, they're having a tough time. Um, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of problems with um, aging out, um, and then also, you know, having enough um, dads who want to teach their sons how to ride, which is a true and like actual fact. It's not sexist. It's not anything. It's just a fact. Um, and so. They needed to start playing to younger audiences, cross audiences, like um, uh, like other extreme sports, and you know younger bands and new celebrities. Um, Channing Tatum was actually one of their hu- biggest fans. Oh, I and bet he looks great on a bike. Rar, he does. <laughs> um, and and so you know bringing those people out of the woodwork to really. Um, create that excitement that motorcycle racing offers people. It's, I mean, it's super, super fun um, and, and crazy. I mean, these guys go at 160 it's miles insane. an hour. And they go, they go like one degree to the ground. I mean, they are, they are, yeah. they are like their helmets are scraping the ground. They're going so low on these turns. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and so we, we ended up with the ideas of changing their events. And so um, they've never had like too much of music festival. And so we inter- introduced a music festival 
component to each of their events. Um, we introduced more carnivals and games to a couple of their different races, but the main part was um, really tapping into new influencers and doing um, just a ton of new digital work and partnering with great people like Tony Hawk Foundation, um, where we had Tony Hawk come out and do like a full skate ramp, which was super rad. Um, going up on that thing is like super scary. I'm mean, like 50 years old doing triple back. Totally, totally. And yeah, I have some really, really great video. And he got to go on one of the bikes. I mean, he came off that thing. He's like, I've never experienced something like that in my life. Tony Hawk. Well, because he rides little puny skateboards, you know. Well, <laughs> like, this, this, is, this is a Ducati going 120 miles an hour. There's a, a kick-push skateboard. I get it. 160, 160. 160 excuse me, it's cooler. <laughs> um, but, but anybody who has ever done extreme sports, so the other thing that we did was we introduced an amazing hostess um, for all of the events. We had, we had her um, with a microphone. We had her going around. Like white of motorcycles. Yeah, Olivia, Olivia Paladin. Ah, I like it. Yep, yep. Um, but I found her. Uh, she's a um, skydiver, and um, her her hashtag is Adrenaline Barbie. I'm like, you're perfect. Badass. <laughs> um, you guys can look her up. That it's Olivia my, Paladin. That was my AOL screen name in middle school. <laughs> it was. I don't, even know. Don't, don't find it. Don't make anything of it, please. Move on. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, so... It's always such a fun time with you. <laughs> it's a blast. Um, so we brought her in. So we kind of like put a whole new, whole new lipstick on this bad boy. And um, there were ten races in in the year, and they were almost all back to back. So like every other week, I was in Alabama. I was on the border of Virginia and North Carolina. I was in the armpit of Pittsburgh. Wait, no. <laughs> there, <laughs> I know. My, my sister-in-law might kill me. Um, but there are a lot of, like, really obscure places that we would go to, to have these races because that's where the, that's where the tracks were. That's where the tracks are. And so, you know, by the time we got to Michigan, which is the big, big race at Road Atlanta, even though it's in Michigan, um, I mean, it was huge. People are like, oh my God, what you guys have been doing for this sport is incredible. This is so much fun. And it, we really started to see like the change in their demographic, the writers that got involved. Um, there are a lot of like older guys that came back because, um, you know, they, they just started to see the potential. And, and it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. So by the end of the year, we ended up, I think we ended up um, growing ticket sales by 14%, which for them is a tremendous feat, um, all without going over budget, which is also a big, big deal because we, we looked at them like an early stage company, um, looked at them as, as a growth company, but didn't have a ton to work with. And so it was huge. I love it. Yeah. And this isn't so much fun. Uh, tell me, where can people find out more about you, about Silicon Drive, and everything you guys are doing? Sure. Um, I'm at LinkedIn on Anna A. Marshall. You can go to onesiliconedrive.com. One, the number one. Not yes. Yes. I got you. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. Very cool. And uh, Lingerie Addiction, when it's out? February 14th. Ah, what a thrill. Yes. Can't wait. Anna, this has been a blast. Thank Thank you. Thank you. Well, there you have it. Anna Marshall, ladies and gentlemen. If you enjoyed what you heard and you want to learn more, check out One Silicon Drive to find the marketing agency or just Google Lingerie Addiction to see what she's got going on over there. And if you liked the episode, please leave us a review or a rating. It means so much. It helps others find the show. If you want to reach out to me with questions, ideas, or feedback, I am at alubarski2 all over the interwebs. So hit me up on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, or wherever else you would like. Happy selling.